This week on Podcast Royal, we see the king host his first state visit since his reign began, movement in the counselors of state situation, possible Duke of Edinburgh drama, and William and Catherine in Boston with Harry and Meghan close by in New York City the same week. We also now know when we can expect the Sussex docuseries on Netflix. That and so much more on episode 78 of Podcast Royal. Welcome back to Podcast Royal. We have got a lot, and I mean a lot, of heavy-hitting topics to discuss today. But first, before we get into all of that, I want to check in with you. How are you? Hey, doing great. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving break last week, and I traveled, saw family, and really just honestly took a real break and relaxed. And it was so wonderful. It was so nice to spend that time with family. Um, But I've definitely been missing you, Rachel. I know we were just talking about grabbing dinner sometime next week. Um, So how have you been? How was your break? Well, I've been missing you too. I had a really relaxing Thanksgiving and then then it has honestly been madness since then. So we can't grab dinner this week. I've got it. I can't keep this in Jessica. I've got, I've got to tell her. (laughs) So, you know, exactly what I'm about to say. So I am going to Boston. We're actually recording this on Monday night. We always record on Tuesdays. Thank you for being so accommodating and recording with me on Monday night, because I'm flying out to Boston. I am in the press pack to See William and Catherine. I need to stop calling her Kate because that's so <laughs> informal. I should say the Prince and Princess of Wales. Um, so I am in. I am representing Marie Claire. So honored to be doing so in the press pack for William and Catherine's Boston Earthshot tour trip visit, whatever we want to call it, which kicks off on Wednesday and goes through Friday. So I will be reporting alongside the Prince and Princess of Wales for three days. And I am over the moon. I'm honored. I I've been so busy getting the logistics and the travel arranged since I found out over the weekend that I was going that I haven't even had time to let it sink in, which is probably a good thing. Cause I would get very starstruck, but I am going to be in the same space, breathing the same air as the Prince and Princess of Wales. <laughs> and you know, listeners, and Jessica, that I'm going to come back from Boston and tell you all about it. And also you'll be able to read all about it on Marie Claire, read our coverage. And again, just so excited for this opportunity and just thrilled to be included. So we're going to Boston, baby. Podcast Boston. <laughs> well, I'm so excited for you. And yeah, you were telling me about that. And I will be following along from here and can't wait to hear about your experience and really can't wait to talk about it with our listeners on an upcoming podcast episode. So yes. um, that's so exciting. And I'm super happy that you have that opportunity. Oh, thank you. I, I've told you a hundred times. I wish you were going with me and I already have so many anecdotes and stories and it's just going to be a wonderful visit and um when this episode drops on Wednesday I will be in the air our episodes always drop at 5 a.m so I will be in the air en route to Boston and a jam-packed 72 hours and I can't wait to tell all of you all about it so I can't believe that I, I thought Sarah you know talking to Sarah Ferguson Duchess of York was the peak of my royal family 
experience and now here we are. So I'm just thrilled, but we will gloss over Boston in this episode and we will talk, I'm sure a lot about Boston in two weeks when our next episode comes out. But I want to kick this episode off with a really great listener email we got from Edward who lives in Virginia. He writes, I am a loyal listener and a big fan of the pod. Thank you, Edward. We appreciate that so much. I'm not sure if you all noticed, but the Royal Family's website has finally updated the counselors of state section to officially list Princess Beatrice as a counselor. So actually, I think Edward sent this email after we had recorded the last episode, but before it had dropped. So we Mm. ended up briefly touching on that in the last episode, but we will talk more about that in this episode. Okay, back to Edward. I'm very fond of the York blood princesses and think that they were so underutilized by the late Queen Elizabeth and currently with King Charles. They have turned out wonderfully considering their ever-changing childhoods with their parents divorcing and now with all of the drama that's surrounding Prince Andrew. There are rumors that part of Charles' slimmed down monarchy is that he may revoke the HRH and princess titles. I didn't know he could do that. I thought princess was a birthright, but um, back to Edward, and to style them as a daughter of a duke, a lady. Interesting. I had not heard that. I really hope this doesn't happen because these two young ladies have raised millions on their own for their respective charities. True. They were also born with HRH princess titles, and I think the queen would be rolling over in her grave if Charles does this. So... I, and then he says, keep up the great work. Thank you, Edward. So I want to, I want to just briefly ask you, we're going to talk about counselors of state more in a little bit, but Jessica, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that Charles should elevate Beatrice to, she, she's going to be a counselor of state is what I've heard and what I understand, but should Charles elevate her to a working Royal since she's now a counselor of state? And, um, he, and Edward asks, and i curious as well, would being a counselor of state and working in the private sector as she does now be a conflict of interest in the UK? So any thoughts you have on this? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, you know, I agree that Princess Beatrice seems to um, be a hard worker and would be an asset um, to the royal family and and any work that she does for them. I don't know uh, if if that's what she wants, you know, she may enjoy the capacity that she works for them now. Um, I'm not sure that she would want to be a full-time working Royal. Uh, I do think that she, like I said, I think she'd be a great person to represent the Royal family in a working Royal role. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I like following along with her as well. I think she's done a great job. Um, I think, I think she would be a great representative. Um, I don't know as far as being both, if she were to have kind of a dual role and work in the private sector and also be a working royal, I'm not sure what the rules are with that. I could see how there may be a conflict of interest there. It seems like when we've had that come up with other members of the royal family who kind of wanted to do this sort of hybrid, you know, sort of relationship and it, you know, was deemed that it wouldn't work that way. So I feel like she may have to give up her private sector work if she were to be a working royal. And I don't know, I I feel like she's kind of passionate about that work that she currently does. So this arrangement may actually work really well for her. Um, But what do you think? Well, I think Edward, which is, it's interesting that his name is Edward because we're going to be talking about Prince Edward so much. So it's just a lot of Edwards going on in this episode, (laughs) but um that's the entire reason why Prince Edward and Princess Anne are being added in Parliament right now 
to counselors of state is because two of the four current counselors of state, Harry and Andrew, are not working royals. So that so Edward actually brings up a really good point is that does that work? Because Parliament is saying right now that that is a conflict of interest if they're not full-time working role. So, so does that eliminate Beatrice unless she wants to become a full-time working role, which as you said, I'm not sure that she's interested in that. Does that eliminate her from this role? That's, it's, that, that's, I mean, it's all a great question and we're going to continue the discussion about um, counselors of state in, in a little bit, but we are not really gonna touch on Beatrice, but that is a great point it's the same, it's the same issue, right? As, as it is with Harry and Andrew, you know, Harry and Andrew, Andrew obviously is mired in controversy. Harry is doing his own thing, but Beatrice has, those two were working Royals and now they're not. Well, Beatrice has never been a full-time working Royal. And so it's just, but it all, it's six and one half dozen of the other. It's all the same at the end of the day. So it's, it's just great food for thought. So Edward, thank you for your email. And um, again, interestingly enough, we'll be talking a lot about a, a different Edward later in the show, but um, I will, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll just be interested to see how it all shakes out because there's just, you know, so much going on and so many personalities and so some half are working royals and half aren't. So it's complex. We got a lot of really complex topics to talk about today. And, but as we start the Royal Rundown, perhaps the biggest news of the past two weeks is that King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla hosted their first state visit. Actually, this is the first state visit since the then U.S. President Donald Trump visited the U.K. in 2019. If you'll believe it, that feels like forever ago. And it was. It was three and a half years ago. The pandemic and Her Late Majesty's declining health have prevented any state visits from happening since. So this state visit was planned before the Queen died in September and brought South African President Cyril Ramaphosa to the UK. President Ramaphosa's wife, Dr. Shepo Motsepe, was expected to join him for the trip, but she did not attend. And we don't know. I, I, I say we, I don't know why. Um, William and Catherine, of course, the new Prince and Princess of Wales, were the first to greet President Ramaphosa. And you know us, we've got to talk fashion for a moment, even though I have been hearing Catherine's team wants us, well, not podcast royal specifically, but us in the collective whole of royal commentators to, and I understand this, I get this, to focus less on the fashion and more on the work because the work is so good. We focus plenty on the work here on podcast royal, but I do want to get your thoughts on that purple look from last week. Well, I'm so excited to talk about this and you are correct. We do focus on the work and I am glad to see that her team, you know, is placing this emphasis on that as well, but that doesn't mean that we can't appreciate the fashion. And I think she totally got it right with both outfits. We saw her in for this event and we'll talk about that white Jenny Packham gown in a second, but the Amelia Wickstead that she wore during the day was so good. I shared a photo of it on our Instagram and I stand by what I said in our stories. I think it's classic Kate and I really, really loved it, Rachel. I thought it was so beautiful. It was classic and classy. You know, it, it was the outfit of a working princess, in my opinion. Um, the, you know, rich 
cool weather color that she had on just worked so well. It was structured. It was tailored. It was conservative. And she paired it with matching pumps, matching gloves, a matching clutch. And of course, the headpiece, which I guess that's considered a fascinator. Um, it was all really, really, really pretty. Um, her hair, you know, she had it long in the back, but it was still sort of pulled back out of her face, which I thought was a good move. Um, I have said this before, and I'll say it again. I wish this style dress, sort of the kind of like the coat dress feel, mm -hmm. I wish it was more attainable for the average non-royal. Um, you know, I think it's really difficult to achieve that look if you're not going for a luxury fashion brand and they're, they're hard to find. And overall, I really like it. And I would love to wear a dress like this if I were yes. going to church on Sunday or something, you know, so it's always fun when I get to see Kate in an outfit like this. But what did you think? I think that my favorite designer on Kate is Amelia Wickstead. Honestly, I've said that on the show before, uh, followed by Jenny Packham, which again, we'll talk about that in a moment, and Alexander McQueen. I mean, those are the three that she gravitates towards the most, probably throw in Catherine Walker in there. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking at a photo of it right now. She, it's, it's perfection. I never gravitate towards purple. So purple and orange are the colors that I just don't wear very much of. Um, orange does not look good on me. Purple, I think I've said this on the show before, the rival school, I went to the University of Kansas. Our colors are crimson and blue and the rival school is Kansas State. Their colors are purple. So I grew up with a total like bias against the color purple. And um, I just don't, but this is not really purple in terms of like royal purple. It's just like, a. it's a beautiful color. And the cut is beautiful. She's just perfect in this outfit. It's absolute perfection. And she looks great. And so that same day, there was a full ceremonial welcome for President Ramaphosa, including a carriage procession. The pomp and ceremony continued, of course, on Tuesday night with the state banquet. Catherine, I'm really trying to not call her Kate because <laughs> if I'm going to go eye to eye with this woman... I can't call her Kate as if I've known her since our days at the university of St. Andrews together. <laughs> she's, she's Catherine. So I'm, I'm trying to call Charles the King and I'm trying to call Kate Catherine. We'll see how long this lasts, but Catherine, she wore her first tiara in nearly three years. Again, if you'll believe that she chose again, a stunning white gown by Jenny Packham, one of her longtime favorites. She also wore the queen Mary lovers, not tiara. Do you say tiara or tiara? I feel I like I, I, I have, I think I have always kind of said tiara, but then sometimes I catch myself saying tiara. So it's kind of like that caramel or caramel tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. I'm a car I'm a caramel person. I'm a tomato person, <laughs> but tiara, tiara kind of depends on my mood, I guess. I, I clearly, obviously it's been three years since she's worn one. So we haven't really had to say the word on the show that much, which is embarrassing as Royal commenters, the commentators, but anyway, um, it was of course, notably her first tiara, tiara, tomato, tomato, caramel, whatever, caramel, caramel, um, as the princess of Wales. So Camilla, um, again, I should probably call her queen consort Camilla. It's just, there's so many titles, but Camilla opted for a sapphire and diamond tiara that we saw her late majesty wear for a state visit back in 2015. She wore a blue gown to match. She was also wearing blue earlier in the day. So the color theme kind of continued throughout. So I would like to know your thoughts on the looks for the state banquet, both Catherine and the queen consort. 
Well, I know our listeners and every other Royal Watcher out there was super eager for this event. You know, we've been waiting for the Royals to bring out the tiaras. Um, and it's finally happened. So for this dinner, like you said, Catherine was in this floor-length Jenny Packham gown. She had this jewel detailing on the shoulders. I thought it was very fitting for this event, and it felt very much like a formal royal dress. Uh, it was, you know, I, I sort of, you know, it sort of seemed like uh, something you would see on a lot of the European princesses, and I just thought it was really fitting for the event. Was it totally unpredictable and out of the box? No, but I don't think it needed to be, you know. Back to the comments from her team, it shouldn't always be this groundbreaking fashion moment. And I personally prefer the more classic kind of storybook princess look, which I think this dress did really give us. I loved the lover's knot tiara. Mm -hmm. I loved the gown. I loved her hair. Um, I thought it was the right look for the night. And um, to our listeners, if you haven't scrolled through the Jenny Packham website lately, I encourage you to do that because I did that and all of the dresses on that website are so gorgeous. But, um, you know, I was thinking about she hadn't haven't seen her in a tear in several years and it kind of made me think coming out of the pandemic whenever I had to like you know, get dressed up for a work thing or, you know, put on heels in a dress. It almost felt like a little bit weird after a couple of years of being in leggings, you know, and and working from home. But um, I wondered if she felt that way when she placed Tiara on her head, if it felt like, you know, a little bit awkward after not wearing it for so long. Probably. Um, I don't know. And I've also wondered, I don't know if our listeners have heard of this, but there's that color tests that you can do where you match your skin tone, your, your skin tone to different colors to see which looks best for you, like which complements you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's based on like the four seasons of the year. So there's like the winter color collection, the spring, and you look at all these different things like your skin tone, the color of your veins, your eyes, your hair, and you, you do this test and it tells you which color family works best for you. Um, And I was wondering if any of our royals have ever done that, but Kate or Catherine (laughs) wears an array of different colors and honestly, they all look great on her. So an article about this, do you know one color that she rarely, rarely, rarely wears? And it's one I, one I just said a minute ago. Oh, I don't know. She rarely wears orange. Oh, good point. Yes, I have and not. She, and she'll wear tangerine, um, but well, she'll wear like a coral color. Yeah, yeah. And she doesn't, you know. Well, no, she does wear yellow. She doesn't really wear a lot of orange. And and um, I remember writing that article. I actually wrote the article when they were in, I think, Jamaica, and she did wear orange one day, and it was like her wearing it was like, oh yeah, she doesn't really wear this color very much. It looks great on her, but no, I mean, Kate, my goodness, this dress, like Jenny Packham just can't miss. I love Jenny Packham and Kate just looks fantastic. That dress is beautiful. It reminds me kind of, um, and I haven't fully done the research on this. I'm speaking kind of off the cuff right now, but it reminds me of a look that she wore. One of my favorite looks of hers of all time. They were on tour in early 2018. She was pregnant with Louie. And they were in a Scandinavian country. I think it was, um, there's a listener out there that's like screaming. It was like either Norway or Finland or something like that. And it, this looks kind of similar to that. It was a caped dress and it was white. And I mean, just, and it's, and 
just she looks Kate looks Catherine we're going to mess up so many times it's so habit at this point but she looks fantastic the the um love Queen Mary Lovers Not looks she is just perfection again absolutely perfection well you know I thought Camilla also looked great she was in this royal blue floor length gown like you said tied really well into her sapphire jewelry and um I thought it was it was really appropriate for the event as well and you know I was wondering um how wonderful this wellness retreat was that she attended recently because I feel like it was really good for her. I thought when I saw the photos of her, uh, she looked very refreshed. Her skin Mm -hmm. was glowing. I don't know. Did you notice that Rachel? Well, now that I'm looking at pictures, I do. And apparently that near, um, the bird strike on the plane on the way home didn't get to her that much. Cause she does look, she does look very, um, she does look, she's glowing, but Jessica, I did not like this look for Camilla at all. Really? At all. No, I didn't. And I think it's because I associate that um, the crown she's wearing with with her late majesty. And it was just very, mm. like, I, I can see in my mind her late majesty wearing this crown. And it was just like, it's such it's such a noticeable crown, this, this, this sapphire crown that it just made me think, my gosh, I don't want to see anybody else wearing this and I've got to get yeah. over it, obviously. But um, I don't really like the dress either, to be honest with you. I don't like the sleeves on the dress. The color's fine. Um, she, Camilla herself looks beautiful, but I just, I didn't, I didn't like the look. And it was probably just because I'm not used to seeing anybody but the, the her, her late majesty in that, in that crown. Well, I, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, it, it is, it's hard, it's hard to, to see something that we associate with the queen like that on, on someone else, um, especially so soon. So I, I think that's a great point that you bring up. Um, I, I, you know, overall I did, I did think that she looked refreshed and I thought, yeah, um, the color suited her nicely, but yeah, but, mm-hmm. but I think that's a great point that you bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also saw Edward and Sophie, they were in attendance, Sophie in the aquamarine necklace tiara for Sophie those wondering. Beautiful. Sophie's glowing did. too. Sophie's glowing. Absolutely. And the menu at the banquet at Buckingham Palace included grilled brill with wild mushrooms and truffles and sorrel sauce and ballotine of Windsor pheasant filled with artichokes, quince compote, and pork sauce. Vegetables served included chantonnay carrots, kale with roasted butternut squash, and braised fondant potatoes, as well as a salad. The dessert was iced vanilla parfait with caramelized apples, as well as coffee, pedophores, and the edible sugar protea flowers to honor South Africa. That is their national flower. Um, And French wine was also served. So very fancy dinner. Honestly, it sounds absolutely delicious. Everything on that menu, I would eat up. You know that we just had this conversation before we started recording. So, I mean, listeners, you don't know this and it's really irrelevant, but I'm on a huge weight loss journey right now. And um, I'm over here drinking muscle milk and and dying for some pedophores and uh caramelized <laughs> apples and and everything you just said that sounds incredible well here's a fun fact to go along with the menu so over 1000 wine glasses or i'm sorry over 1000 glasses were used at um the state banquet they typically do this at these banquets because every guest is given six glasses with another champagne glass 
for the toast also provided. So thank you people for that piece of information. Um, I thought that was really cool. And could you imagine being the person doing the dishes? No. Oh my gosh. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody gets six glasses. That's, that's, that's a lot of glasses. That, that would be I, intimidating. You know, if you don't do those right. things regularly, I would be like, Oh, which one? Right. Right. Right, right, right. And by the way, I, this is a total aside, but did you hear that char, that the king has banned foie? How do you say this dish? Foie, foie gras. This is this makes, gras. Me, this makes me sound very Birmingham. Out. How do you foie say? Gras. How do you say foie gras? What is it? Foie, say it again. Foie gras. Foie gras. He's banned that at all royal residences because of the in, because of the inhumane. I we I don't want to get into this. It's gross, but like the inhumane way that the the duck is in the yeah um so banned never gonna see that on uh, a royal menu as long as he is king so before we go into our next topic i also wanted to point out a really touching moment that happened on the south africa state visit so the king camilla president ramaphosa they they viewed the famous 1947 speech that her late majesty gave in south africa the one if you'll remember that i broke down crying, reading back in September on the day she died. The one Mm -hmm. that says, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. So that is one of my favorite, if not my favorite speeches that her late majesty ever gave and how appropriate to view it on a South Africa state visit where she said those words so many years ago. So she may not be here in body, but she is always here in spirit. I didn't know if you saw that. Yeah, I didn't, but that is really, really touching. Um, I don't know how I missed that one. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I uh, I had to include that because, you know, that's, that is just one of the, the best speeches maybe ever any leader has ever given ever. And the next day we saw Prince Edward help host two engagements with President Ramaphosa. I think that is indicative of his burgeoning role with Charles's monarchy. We're going to talk about Prince Edward right now, maybe more than we ever have in one single episode of the show. So strap in and get ready because we've got a lot to say about the youngest of the Queen's children. Well, first up, Edward and Sophie will step up and attend a major royal event this year, the Royal Variety Performance at Royal Albert Hall. Their first time attending an event that we've seen William and Catherine attend many times, as well as Harry and Meghan and Charles and Camilla. Uh, The event, which takes place in December, supports the Royal Variety Charity, which helps entertainers across the UK who need assistance. The performance this year will include the likes of Ellie Goulding, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Rita Wilson, Cirque du Soleil, and many, many more. And as we alluded to earlier in the show, Edward, along with his sister, Princess Anne, have been tapped by older brother Charles. I'm just going to throw that out the window, but we're just going to be ourselves to become (laughs) possible counselors of state that will allow them to stand in for the king in official duties if he cannot attend or if he is abroad or if he's ill. So the petition is moving through parliament now and will allow them not really to so much replace Andrew and Harry, but to to add two more spots to it, to make it from four to six. I know you're about to talk about this in a second. So um, Andrew and Harry are current counselors of state, but they cannot be called upon to, 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 stand in as they are no longer senior working roles, the conflict of interest we were talking about earlier. So can you kind of explain 
the counselors of state situation and who all is one now. I know we started to touch on that in the last episode and Beatrice is still in the mix, right? So talk us through that. Yeah. And, you know, we've said this before on the show, but counselors of state are typically a monarch spouse than the first four people in the line of succession over the age of 21. So today that would be William, Harry, Andrew, and Beatrice. With two of those people being non-working royals, um, members of parliament, you know, pointed that out recently, it could be a conflict of interest if their services were ever needed. So, you know, Charles has requested Anne and Edward be able to serve, which would, you know, like you said, increase that number to six. This would amend the Regency Act, which we talked about briefly in the last episode. So um, what are your thoughts on that, Rachel? I mean, I think, I think it makes total sense. And, you know, I don't really know. I wish I had more data as to how often a counselor's of, counselor of state is actually used. Um, to be honest with you, I had never really heard of this until recently. I'd never really heard of it um, under her late majesty, but especially in light of what we're about to talk about with Edward, this makes me feel better because Edward kind of got uh, passed over for something pretty important and significant. And Anne, I always want more Anne. I mean, Anne is the hardest working royal um, that the data shows that. And so I think, you know, just thank God for a family with a lot of siblings, because, you know, you got to replace two and it's like, perfect. I've got two more siblings right here that, that can do the job. So, I mean, both of them, both Anne and Edward, Anne in particular is seriously, truly the hardest working royal there is. Um, I love that for her. And then Edward has always been very drama free, a rock. Sophie, of course, is his wife and is one of the most loyal, steadfast royal. So I, I love seeing um, them elevated. I love it. And I know that Charles has said for a long time that he wants this slimmed down monarchy. And so we thought maybe Edward and Sophie and Anne could potentially get pushed out. But it looks like they're not. And and I'm, and I'm great with that. How do you feel? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think Edward and Anne are very deserving of this role and I think they should be a counselor of state. They, um, you know, obviously they're working Royals much more so than some who are, who are in this list to, to fill in for Charles. So I think this is a good move and I think they will do a great job in this role. And like you said, you know, I mean, it's something that doesn't really come into play. Um, hopefully never, you know, if if not, you know, very often. So, um, but if something were to happen and they needed someone to step in, it makes sense that they are people who are living in the UK and working on behalf of the King already. Um, they're obviously going to be more suited to step into this role if needed. So I think it's a good move. I'm supportive of it. I am as well, but that is not where the Prince Edward conversation ends. So this story bothers me. And so originally I was, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just explain the story and then I'll share my opinion. So when Edward married Sophie Reese Jones in 1999, he was not given a dukedom like his older two brothers and instead was made an earl and thereby Sophie a countess. Because his parents, the Queen and Prince Philip, promised that when Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, died, Edward would become Duke of Edinburgh. This has long been understood. 
Now, Charles is saying not so fast. So the dukedom is hereditary. So when Edward dies, it would then be passed from Edward to his son, James, Viscount Severn. And I am hearing that Charles wants to keep the Duke of Edinburgh, or the, the Edinburgh title, I should say, for Charlotte, for Princess Charlotte someday. Of course, she would be the Duchess of Edinburgh. So I'm going to cut myself off here and say, I love that for Charlotte, right? Because the Edinburgh title is one of the most prestigious titles in the royal family. And I think I know that William and Catherine are really trying to avoid the heir and spare dynamic that plagued William and Harry. And that is a, that is a wonderful title for, uh, for Charlotte. And also we never think about this, but Prince Philip was the Duke of Edinburgh and by being married to the Duke of Edinburgh, her late majesty was the Duchess of Edinburgh. I mean, of course we never call her that always her majesty or the queen, but so the, so giving Charlotte this title would honor her great grandmother and, and, and kind of draw that through line there, which I, so I love that. I love the thought of Charlotte having a title like that, but I think that it's also quite unfair to Edward and all of the service that he has put into the family. So when Philip died in April, 2021, the dukedom reverted to the crown and it remains there. It's not being used right now. Well, of course, the crown is now Charles who can decide to do with this title. So let's go back to 1999 and a statement from Buckingham Palace, which reads the Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh and and the Prince of Wales. I want to like underscore that and the Prince of Wales, which, of course, was Charles at the time, have also agreed that the Prince Edward should be given the Dukedom of Edinburgh in due course, which is another which is the Buckingham Palace way of saying when someone dies. So when Philip dies. When the present title now held by Prince Philip eventually reverts to the crown. So I understand the Charlotte argument. I mean, Charlotte is special for many reasons. She's just a special little girl, but she's also special because she's a history maker. She was a history maker before she was even born. So um, quick royal history lesson for, for those that may not be aware. So with the Queen's four children, when Princess Anne was born in 1950, so the, the birth order of the queen and Philip's children are Charles and Andrew Edward. So when Anne was born in 1950, her mother was not yet queen. She was, she was third in line to the throne. When she was two years old or not quite two, a year and a half old, her mother became queen. So she moved up to second in line to the throne. Well, then when Andrew and Edward were born in 1960 and 1964, respectively, she got pushed down to fourth. And now she's been pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. So but Charlotte, in 2013, um, the act was passed, of course, that said whatever gender the, the, the child is, it will not be leapfrog, leapfrogged by a boy. So Charlotte, of course, when uh, she's the second born, it's George, Charlotte, Louis. When Louis was born after her, she did not lose her place in the line of succession. So this title would be a great way to honor her and... Uh, but she's also seven years old. You know what I mean? And so like, she's, uh, it, it will be given to her in due time, but um, why? So, okay. Back to my original question. Why would Charles not give it to Edward? Experts say it's because he wants to slim down the monarchy. We've heard that again and again, but that is also being contradicted right now by Edward's increasing role in other capacities, like counselors of state, um, this 
work with the state visit that just happened. So for his part, Edward told the BBC a few years ago, quote, it was fine in theory ages ago when it was sort of a pipe dream of my father's. And I'm this is me speaking now, not him. This really was Philip's wish for him. You know, this was Philip's title. By, by 1989, he'd had the title for over 50 years. He wanted this for Edward. Okay, back to Edward. Of course, it will depend on whether or not the Prince of Wales, when he becomes king, whether he'll do that. So we'll wait and see. So yes, it will be quite a challenge taking that on. And of course, when Edward... If he ever were to become Duke of Edinburgh, Sophie would be elevated to a duchess. And I think that Edward and Sophie have earned that. But also I see the argument for Charlotte. So do you find it wrong that Charles is denying Edward a long held promise of Phillips who obviously wanted Edward to have his title? Well, I've been torn on this one too. And you've kind of talked through a lot of the same exact considerations that I had. And then we can kind of go back and revisit some of that a little bit. But, you know, my initial thought was that, you know, yes, it is wrong of Charles to deny Prince Edward of that title. If it was promised to him by the late queen and Prince Philip and the expectation was that Edward would receive it, you know, then part of me feels like it should be bestowed upon him. And as you've said, he's very well deserving of that. Um, You know, he and Sophie have been, they've been very loyal. They've been very dedicated to the monarchy. They're very hardworking royals. But, you know, with that being said, you know, there's a couple other things here. So Charles is now the monarch. He does have the ultimate decision-making power. So, you know, technically it is his right to bestow the title on whomever he wishes, um, whether that's Prince Edward or Princess Charlotte. Another thought here is Charles has spoken a long time about, or we have believed that he has felt strongly about a slimmed down monarchy. Um, You know, so are we really slimming it down if we're passing Duke and Duchess titles on to members of the family who are not in the immediate line of succession? You know, as you said, Prince Edward receiving that title would mean it would be passed down to his children one day, which would ultimately take it you know, that title even further away from the immediate line of succession. Um, And I know, you know, you mentioned that title could be being reserved for Princess Charlotte. So she could one day be the Duchess of Edinburgh if that's something Charles is wanting to do. Um, she is in the direct line of succession right now. She's ahead of Prince Edward. Um, she is the monarch's granddaughter. I think it could be a really thoughtful gesture of Charles to grant this title to her. And I do really like that idea. Um, you know, interestingly, only three other people have held this title so far. Um, we, we know because Prince Philip was the Duke of Edinburgh, Queen Elizabeth was the Duchess of Edinburgh, as you mentioned, Um, And I think that could be a really sweet bond between Princess Charlotte and um, her great-grandmother. So I do like that idea. Lastly, I think we have to uh, consider Prince Edward's perspective here. So is this a title he really wants? You know, as you mentioned, the Queen's other sons were granted Duke titles. We've got uh, the Duke of York and um, the Duke of Cornwall. You know, but Prince Edward was not. He was given this Earl of Wessex title, and maybe it was because they were reserving the Duke of Edinburgh title for him following, you know, Prince Philip's passing. Um, But I also recall reading a while back that he requested this Earl of Wessex title over a Duke title as well. Um, That was something that he wanted. I do imagine he would be honored to have it and and may actually want it. 
Um, but I also think if Charles is really going to promote this idea of a slimmed down monarchy, I think choosing to withhold it from Edward would be in keeping with that thought. Um, and I think it's important that Charles stays consistent with how he's expressed wanting the monarchy to look. So thank you to Rachel and our listeners for going on that little journey with me. Um, you know, I think my final decision, if we've got to pick one or the other, is that I do really, while I'm, while I'm sorry that, you know, it, it might not be something Edward will receive, I do really like the idea of it being reserved for Princess Char Charlotte. I think that would be a lovely gift from the king. Um, but, you know, Rachel, I wonder if we're always, you know, making these exceptions for this and changing this when this new monarch comes into play, could there not be a situation where there's an agreement where Edward is the Duke of Edinburgh and then upon his passing, that title goes back to the monarch and he can bestow that on Princess Charlotte. Mm -hmm. um, is that not, you know, an arrangement that we could have and maybe everyone could sort of be happy? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where my mind's going. Ultimately, I do think I really like the idea of it being given to Charlotte though. Yeah, I mean, every point has a, counterpoint for me on this I want to honor Edward and Sophie for that matters matter um all their years of service to the royal family it's obviously what Philip wanted it was his title after all and that statement mind you that I read earlier was from Buckingham Palace so it wasn't just gossip and tabloid fodder that was from the palace itself and but it it did sound in Edward's quote from the BBC, like he thought maybe this wasn't going to happen after all. So, and that was years ago. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think Edward and Sophie certainly deserve this. I also find it, in, as I said, incredibly touching that I love the, the Charlotte argument as well. And yeah, I mean, Edward was born in 1964. I can't really do math. So that would mean he's almost 60 years old, I think. And, um, you know, yeah, let him enjoy the title for 20 years and then give it to Charlotte when she's like 27 years old, you know, I mean, she can ride out the rest of her life with it. I don't know if it's that easy, but, um, I don't know. I don't have, I'm just glad I don't have to make this decision because that's really tough. Um, cause, cause like I said, every point has a counterpoint. So, um, we'll see how this shakes out, but I don't know. I, if, before I heard the Charlotte piece, I was like, you can't do that to Edward. Yeah. He's served so he's served so long, but now I'm like, Oh, but Charlotte, like that's, that's amazing. The game changer. So, yeah, it is. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, speaking of gifts, uh, you know, Christmas is right around the corner and tomorrow, marks the beginning of December. And I'm saying tomorrow we're actually recording on Monday, but as of when this episode drops, it will be November 30th. So tomorrow marks the beginning of December <laughs> and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at Windsor Castle. Rachel, have you seen the photos yet? Yes. And they're beautiful. And, um, listeners, if you haven't yet, we'll try to get some up on Instagram. They're, they're absolutely stunning. Yes, definitely. They're they're always pretty every year, but it's always fun to see it when they when they share the photos. Yes, and if you have to happen to find yourself in Windsor, I I believe that tours are open to the public with the decorations up until January second. But um, okay, switching gears. Those have been we've we've covered a lot of heavy hitting news stories. Now we're going to go into a little bit. Uh, well, I say it's lighter fare, but 
We don't know because we don't know what's in the docuseries. So the long-awaited Harry and Meghan docuseries on Netflix, which is directed by veteran filmmaker Liz Garbus, is premiering sooner than maybe any of us thought. It's coming out December 8th. So that is in just over a week. It's a week and a half away. Its working title was called Chapters which is interesting, but that title has apparently been changed, though we don't know what the new title is yet. And in addition to William and Catherine Catherine arriving on U.S. soil today, November 30th, honestly, they've probably been there for a couple of days. I don't know. Um, But that's the day this episode drops there, as we mentioned, in Boston for three days, concluding with the Earthshot Prize Awards on December 2nd. We will cover that in detail in our next episode, Harry and Meghan will also be heading to roughly kind of that part of the country. They are receiving the Robert F. Kennedy Ripple of Hope Award on December 6th in New York City for their stance against structural racism, so, uh, says one of Robert F. Kennedy's daughters, Carrie Kennedy. So that this is an interesting royal family slash Kennedy family tie-in. I mean, obviously they're the British royal family. I think the Kennedys are probably the closest thing we in America have to a royal family. So William and Catherine will be hosted in Boston by JFK and Jackie's daughter, Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg, and her son, Jack Schlossberg, which is less than a week prior to Harry and Meghan being honored by RFK's family on December 6th in New York City. I just, I thought that was very interesting as someone who obviously loves the British royal family, and the Kennedys. Well, it's also interesting how the timeline is working out with Harry and Meghan's, um, you know, their efforts in being in the the spotlight. So we've got archetype season wrapping up, then we're moving straight into this award, and then we're moving straight into the docuseries in December and Harry's book in January. So Yeah, <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of Sussex content. Boom, boom, boom. We'll look out for uh, more from the Sussexes listeners in the coming weeks. Um, And we are going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. So um, stay tuned for another episode we've got coming out soon where we're going to recap the crown season five. Um, I think you'll enjoy that one. And if you haven't already watched it, go ahead and do it now before we have that chat. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And please, please, please follow, rate, and review our podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we love to see a, a five-star review and a really great note. Um, we, we would so appreciate that. And thank you so much for tuning into episode 78 of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye.